I'd say fear could be my number one problem as a product manager. I don't know if it's number one, but it's definitely up there. You know, a big part of our job is dealing with uncertainty. And even when things look really cut and dried to somebody from outside, they usually are not. This means that every decision, every action, every statement we make is a creative act because we're making it up as we go along because it's never been done before. We have to make it up. And you know what happens to creative people? They get writer's block. They get stage fright or they get the yips. These are all fear-based problems. Now, of course, we have a lot of best practices and best practices help mitigate fear. Things like we know that requirements are a best practice or something like requirements. We might call them user stories or something like that. Fun functional specifications is a term I often use. But we also know that a lot of successful products have been delivered without much in the way of requirements. And we know that prototyping is a great way to converge on a product design or to validate a product design. But there are lots of products that don't have much design that do okay. And lots of beautiful products that sink like cannonballs. And we know that having a well-articulated value proposition is a great best practice. But we also know lots of companies that manage to do without them, at least initially. The point being that even though we have our best practices, they're not a guarantee of success. So we still have to be worried. Right? And in any case, the problem with all these best practices is they don't eliminate the fundamental creative obstacle, whether you're talking requirements or prototypes or value propositions or any other best practice. And I'm talking about a blank space that has to be filled with something, something out of your own head. Hence the idea of the fear of the blank page. You know, a requirement needs to be filled with words. A prototype is a design, even if only made from merest nothings. A value proposition is a terrible, daunting Mad Lib that this product is for something and for someone and it's better than that thing because of this thing. So not only do you not know what to write to fill in those empty spaces, even if you do know, it may seem like you don't in the moment, but there's also the fear that about what happens when you do write something. Once there's something written down, you fear, everyone feels great about telling you how to change it, how you miss this or should expand on that or... How could you think that was the right approach? Does any of this resonate with you? Hi, I'm Nels Davis, and you're listening to episode 145 of the Secrets of Product Management podcast. In this episode, we're talking about creative blocks and some tools and techniques that I use and other people have recommended for breaking out of creative blocks. And I think the idea that fear is one of the fundamental components of creative blocks is probably good. I think there may be other things as well. In fact, I just read this great quote. It's actually taken from uh, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, the great novel Frankenstein by Mary Shelley. And this quote, I learned it from Nathan Baugh's weekly email newsletter, which is a great newsletter. And I'll put a link to that in the show notes at secretsofpm.com slash 145. The quote is, Invention, it must be humbly admitted, does not consist in creating out of the void, but out of chaos. And I think that's another side of creative blocks. We have so much information and so much knowledge, even despite the fact that there's all this uncertainty, that it's hard to figure out how it all goes together into something coherent. So there's the aspect of fear, which is I'm going to write down something that's never been written down before, and that's my job as a product manager. Or I'm going to say something that's never been said before. Again, it's my job as a product manager. And, that, and there's a fear that what you put there is not going to be adequate. And there's some things you can do to help mitigate that fear, but it's there. And then 
the other side of it is that you have all of this stuff in your brain that's that's all impl- impacting this thing you're going to write or you're going to say, and you're not quite sure how to put it all together, and it's hard to figure out what is the thing that is important here? What do I have to focus on? Where is the coherent idea in all of this stuff that is all often very contradictory and incomplete, of course. So I'm curious if this resonates with you, or is it just me who faces this writer's block all the time, or who worries really with every word if it's going to be wrong and maybe drive the company into the ground or be roundly panned by my colleagues or my engineers or whatever. Have I indeed hit upon a thread that so far hasn't really been explored much in the macho product management world? You know, I have the same fears about this podcast as I do about any requirement I write. Am I off my rocker? Is this a crazy person talking? Am I crazy to be thinking this way or to admit that I think this way? Anyway, what can we do about this fear? Well, I have some ideas and I'll run them by you. I did one creative blockbuster episode on the podcast. I sort of thought I'd done more and I have a few articles about it and I'll put links to those in the show notes as well. The creative blockbusters that I shared, that's what I call these tools and techniques that I use to help get out of creative blocks. I used the three following three techniques. One of them is talking. It turns out that changing the modality of your work, of your creativity, can have a big impact on your ability to create. And basically, if you're sitting there thinking, and this is particularly true for me, the way that I am creative, I'm not as creative when I just sit and think. I'm much more creative when I'm talking. and But I often just sit and I try to solve my problem by just sitting and thinking when really I need to be talking. Or at least, this also works for me, writing as though I were having a conversation. So, But I can't just sit there and think. I have to maybe do some writing that's in a conversational way or I have to actually stand up or something, talk to people, talk to someone. I can even talk to an empty room. And oftentimes that actually frees up my creativity and my problem solving. The second thing to do is to drill down, is to take the high-level topic, and this is something that I often struggle with. I tend to get stuck on the high-level topic or the big thing, and what I need to do is use maybe outlines or mind maps to drill down and to start breaking down the big topic into smaller things that are maybe a little easier to think about, a little easier to structure, and often give me new ways to deal with a creative challenge. And the other thing that I recommend is doing something along the lines of the simplest thing that could possibly work or setting a timer for five minutes and starting to work. Because for me, anyway, there's a big activation energy barrier. Getting started is really tough and scary. There's that fear thing again. But if I just get started, oftentimes once I get started, I can start moving faster. And so the goal here is to start with something that has a low cognitive load and there's little risk of failure. And that might be something like, and I actually do this even on the podcast sometimes, but I often do it when I'm writing, which is to, the first step is simply to open the document, (laughs) right? Open the document, maybe type a title. Maybe type the topic of what I'm going to write about or what I'm trying to have an idea about. And that's all I'm, that's my assignment. My assignment is to open the document, write one line. And that helps me get over that activation energy and then 
I can actually start doing a little bit more. And I'll, I get, I get to that point. And it's like, Oh, well, let me write a few more lines or let me start talking about something or, you know what, I'm going to draw a little, I'm going to sketch a little something, something like that. And so those are three things that I talked about in the previous podcast episode. Again, I'll put a link to that in the show notes. I talk, meaning I change modalities from thinking. I drill down, meaning I break down the idea, I outline, I maybe do a mind map, something like that. And I start with a very simple, very low cognitive load and low risk task. And that sometimes is enough to get me going. I have a lot of other techniques. And so here's a few, a few more, right? Again, we're looking at a blank page. We need to fill it in with a requirement or a data sheet, or it's a blank screen that we need to put a user interface on or a blank set of slides that will eventually be used to sell our product or to pitch a product idea. And of course, this is all a recipe for fear, fear of failure, fear of not coming up with the right solution, missing something obvious, or just fear that this time the magic isn't going to happen. So a couple of additional techniques I use. In fact, one of the most valuable ones for me, and I have talked about it on the podcast before, is what I call, or what are called morning pages. I didn't come up with that name. And this is, I learned about them in Julia Cameron's book called The Artist's Way, which I highly recommend. Again, links in the show notes. The basic idea is that you're going to write three pages every morning, first thing, as fast as you can, with no editing and no judging, just pouring out the words, even if the words are, I can't think of anything to write. The idea that Cameron had by proposing this is that this early writing, this first thing you do in the morning writing, is going to desensitize your inner editor a little bit so that when you actually then have to go write your assignment, you have exercised it a little bit, exercised the editor. So I find that actually this is, the, this is most of the writing that I do every day is the, is the morning pages, and I tend to write a lot more than three pages, and I don't do it by hand. She recommended doing it by hand. I have for many years been using an online system called 750words.com, and I have written almost 5 million words on this site. Um, I'll be getting to 5 million words probably in the next uh, two months. And so I don't really have to, I don't usually give myself an assignment when I'm doing this writing. I'll just start out and often I will start out with, I'm not sure what to write, but often the words will start con coalescing around a topic. And often that's the topic around which I am blocked. And so what I might do is I might start writing and just not have anything. And then I might give myself a, some, some things to think about. Oh, I want to talk about this podcast script, or I might want to think about this issue at work that I'm challenged with or something like that. And those kind of become assignments in my brain. And if I start asking myself questions, right, I literally type out the question and then I answer it, that can help me get unblocked. That's my experience. Um, you know, I typically do, as I say, I do these morning pages on a website called 750words.com. It tracks my writing over time. It also makes it easy for me to reuse my writing if I come up with something good, which often happens. In fact, I have most of my podcast episodes, at least some component of them, start as things I wrote in morning pages. I have a book, as you know, called The Secret Product Manager Handbook. Most of that started as in my morning pages at some point. And so 
I really recommend doing this initial this writing every morning. I do it in a very conversational way. I don't, as I say, I don't really have an assignment. I do try to write more than a thousand words every morning. My average, I my average is well above a thousand words for the past multiple years per day, and um, seven hundred fifty words is about really about the the length of three pages handwritten. But I tend, to, I gave myself a little bit more of a higher target, and I often write fourteen hundred words, sixteen hundred words. I wrote twenty five hundred words a couple of days ago, a great session, and that was actually the script for the last podcast. That's actually what I wrote on that setting, in that sitting. So, another thing that is really great is that, and this is really a good way to help minimize fear, and it's related a little bit to morning pages, but it's the timeless advice from Anne Lamott in her book Bird by Bird which was to write crappy first drafts. This is actually not a directive. It's just a fact that your first drafts will not be what you want them to be. And so you should expect that and not get worried when your first attempt is a piece of crap. What's amazing is that you can attack that first draft and turn it into a second draft, and it's likely to be a lot better. And, that dra and the draft after that can be even better. And even if the first draft doesn't lead directly to a second draft, at least it will help you think through your idea, so that you can create another but less crappy first draft in a different direction but with much more knowledge about the landscape of the idea. So these two techniques are really focused on writing, but you can use them for any creative effort. I will often do something like a crappy first draft for UI concepts. I don't expect to do a good job of user experience design on my first mock-up. In fact, I expect to never do a good job on it because I'm really not that good at it. But I always learn a lot, and at worst I get a sense of what additional things I need to start thinking about in order to make a better experience. And once I've got a little bit on paper, I can then have a conversation with a good designer, and they have a place to start. The third thing I often phrase as, your obvious is your art. And the idea here is that things that are obvious to you are not necessarily obvious to other people. In fact, that's very likely to be your superpower. It may be the thing that even got you the job in the first place is the fact that you see things in the world in a way that other people don't see it. Where you can see the, the outcome, the, 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 the obvious solution to something that for other people is very opaque. I'll just give you a quick example. My, uh, uh, my wife's obvious. She w used to be involved in a dance company and they would have a big day-long planning meeting to figure out what the program would look like that they would be rehearsing to and then doing. There were lots of constraints, like they had to do costume changes and they had to have musicians get on and off the stage and this and that. And she would, at the beginning of this meeting, write down what she thought that the performance had to look like, what the, what the order of, of numbers had to be. And then they would have this meeting all day, and at the end of the day, the result would be the list that she had written down starting at the beginning of the day because one of her obvious things, and she has many, is that she could just automatically see how the show had to come together if it was going to work. That's her obvious. The thing about your obvious is people often don't value their obvious or they don't know that they have it. And so they just think, well, that's something everybody can do. But the fact is that they're actually special and that ability is, is special. Another example I always think about is uh, people that can draw a perfect circle. People who can draw a perfect circle, they typically did not get to the, being able to draw a perfect circle by practicing on a lot, although they may indeed practice drawing circles a lot. In many cases, they just naturally have the ability to draw very well. 
and to draw things like perfect circles. And so they think, well, this is this is was easy for me. I'm sure it should be easy for everybody else. Let me show you. Let me tell you how I do it. And they don't even know how they do it, of course. And then they try to teach you. And if it's somebody like me who can't draw, I'm really bad at drawing. I can draw, but the things that I draw don't look like, like the things that I'm intending for them to look like. And I will never be able to draw a perfect circle, but some some people can. And for them, that's their ob- to them it's obvious how to do it, and they can just do it. But to the rest of us, it's kind of a miracle that it happens. Thinking about and figuring out what is your obvious is a really powerful tool to use. I have another list as well of tools, and I've mentioned a few of them that I often use for overcoming creative blocks. And I'll, I'll just list the, the rest of them out that I've kind of honed over the years to help me make progress in this process of invention and getting over creativity issues. I use these things when I'm stuck. If I remember to, one of the challenges I also find with this whole creativity block issue is remembering that I have these tools. So that's something that is always a challenge. So just to remember, just get started or whatever it might be. But when I do do them, I find I often find I get unstuck using one or more of these techniques. So what are these techniques? Well, I mentioned mind maps. And I have several product management-specific mind map templates that I will use for particular cases, and they actually help me think through a problem. I have a set of product management rules of thumb. I have a podcast episode about this. I'll link to it. But these are things like, Always remember to think about the process that comes before whatever it is you're automating and the process that comes after whatever it is you're automating so that your automation piece connects to both of those. That's a rule of thumb. And it's maybe not obvious to everybody. To me, it's actually probably one of my obvious things. But if I remember to think about it, it's always good. And I have to remember to remind people, you know, when I'm writing a requirement, for example, I have to remind people, think about the inputs, make sure that the there are the outputs of the thing that precede us. Think about the outputs. Make sure they're the right inputs for the thing that goes after us. Um, I have templates for requirements. I have my what I call the valuable rubric. I have a podcast episode about that. But that is essentially a structure for thinking about what needs to go into a requirement to make it clear to developers why we should be building it, which helps motivate them that, to make it make sure that they cover certain things when they build so that we can manage the feature when it goes out and that we know whether it's being used correctly and things like that. There's thinking frameworks like the Knafen framework, which is a very powerful way to think about complexity, and product management tends to live in the world of complexity. I'll put a link to the Knafen framework into the show notes as well. Asking good questions, open-ended questions, using the five Ys, using the five Ws and an H, those are often good ways to get out of a creative block, right? You can say, well, why is this happening? When does it happen? What happens? What's the impact when this happens? Things like that can often help you get to the next step in your creative endeavor, whatever it is. Talking to other people, even people who don't know anything about the topic and aren't that interested, can be really powerful. It turns out for me, at any rate, I think by talking. And so when I'm trying to explain something, to somebody, in particular somebody who doesn't know anything about the domain, I often find that my thinking about a topic gets much more clear when I do it. I get a lot more clarity. Um, another thing I do, again, this is related to thinking by talking, is I will sometimes create a PowerPoint about the topic with just rough bullets, and then I will present it out loud in an empty room. And that often helps me really make progress on getting 
more ideas out, getting my ideas more organized, figuring out what the flow has to be. Again, I mentioned crappy first drafts and just getting started and the simplest thing that could possibly work. Another great tool for certain kinds of creative blocks is to do something like write the Amazon review first. So this is a little bit like that Amazon technique, the thing they use at Amazon. I think it's called PR Facts, but it's basically where you write the press release first. So you're th if you have a product idea, you write a press release for the product and you write a list of frequently asked questions and the answers to those questions. But I actually think that the ch problem with that, and it's, it's a great technique, but the problem with it is it's very, it's still kind of internally focused. It's, it's telling the story from our perspective as opposed to the customer's perspective. Whereas if you write the Amazon review first, you write the Amazon review, and often it might be multiple reviews if you have multiple different kind of users. You're writing it from the customer's perspective, and you're writing it about what they got from it. You're not writing about product features, typically. You're writing about the impact that the product had on the person. And so I've done this exercise a few times, and it's super powerful to do it. And it helps you, it helps me at any rate, think of what does this product have to do? What are its characteristics? How does it, how do I want it to impact people? Things like that. It's very powerful. Sometimes you just have to do anthropology, meaning getting back to the people whose problem I'm trying to solve to make sure I really understand it. Problems are much easier to solve when you understand them correctly. And so you might be working on a feature or something, a capability, and you think you know what's going, you know what needs to be done, but there's some areas where you're stuck. Oftentimes, that is the time when you need to go back to your customers or to the market, whoever it is that you started to get the information from, and ask some clarifying questions. And you might often find out that that thing you were stuck on wasn't important, or you might find out that the thing you thought you were going to do isn't actually going to work for other reasons. It's always really valuable to do that. I mentioned sketching and mock-ups. Even though I'm a terrible artist and a designer, simply putting something down on paper that's a sketch or a visualization or in balsamic or PowerPoint, that often breaks down obstacles for me as well. And finally, I always like to look to see how other people have solved this problem or related problems or similar problems in different domains. And then I, I will just essentially swipe what those people did. There's, it's never really stealing in the sense of, you know, a direct theft because there's always so many differences between their domains and mine. But, you know, there's that great phrase, good artists copy, great artists steal. And that really applies to this. It's, it's a lot easier to solve a problem if you just essentially take somebody else's solution or at least take that as the starting point. So especially if I'm stuck, I do some or all of these things and I find myself, against all odds, getting unstuck and making progress. And sometimes it literally feels like a miracle. So I've given you a ton of stuff in this episode, a lot of techniques, a lot of different ideas. And I have links to a bunch of articles and podcast episodes that cover all of these topics. I hope you find some of them useful and maybe you can apply some of them. I use them as much as I can. As I say, I, it is sometimes hard to remember when I'm in the midst of the chaos of not knowing what to do next. It's hard to remember that I have tools, but when I apply my tools, I often really make progress. And so that's really great. So if you suffer from that fear of the blank page, as I started out talking about it, I would love to hear how you address that fear, the tools you use to 
get around it or the techniques that you use, let me know in the show notes. The show notes are at secretsofpm.com slash 145. And I hope these are all useful and valuable to you. As I say, I use them all the time. But I would love to know what you're using for this as well. This has been episode 145, as I said, of The Secrets of Product Management. I'm Nels Davis. Until the next time, bye-bye.